that peeking behind the bars That's Hannibal Who's that played by four different stars That's Hannibal And whose face is detachable That's Hannibal And who's everybody's favorite cannibal that's Hannibal. Hello. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Macot Podcast Universe. And you know what that podcast is about, Jordan? Film franchises. And not only that, we exist to prove people wrong when they say that sequels are never better than the originals. Yes. And happy February, uh, our, our little Macot Podcast Universe family. Um, today, if you're, if you're going, man, this Manhunter episode just blew me away and you want to text Jordan or I, we might be a little busy because we right now are moving into our new home. Mm-hmm. Can we say that? Yeah. I just don't say where it is. Yeah, well, of course. Yes. Um, but we, we bought a house, so pretty cool. <laughs> I'm excited about it, but, uh, we are recording this uh, before that. This is our first record of the new year. Oh, that's true. Yes. Um, but we are in a brand new series. Now, this is a series that I had only seen one film from. Okay. Which was Silence of the Lambs. Yes. Um, and at the time... Well, no, we'll get into that next week. I think I've seen all but this one. Oh, you've seen Hannibal Rising? I think I have a oh. really long time ago. I don't remember you saying that, but I'm, I'm sure you told me that. I just forgot. Like when um, back back when Blockbuster was still a thing, I think so. It couldn't have even been when I watched Red Dragon. I also watched Hannibal Rising. This actually does seem like a very obvious uh, Martinez pick. Where where you yeah, guys? Yeah, because Veronica watch it also and... really likes uh, crime. That's true. Stuff. Yeah. Um. And and if you know anything about me, this this uh, and it really hit home when we were watching this movie. This genre of movies, when it's done really well, really freaks me out. Probably more so than horror. Because it's real. It's real, and I realized last night, I think I have like a childhood psychological thing. My mother used to watch, well, she still does, but when I was young, she would watch like the true crime, Dateline, 48 Mm -hmm. Hours, 2020, all of those things. Like, they... (laughs) Folks, my mom would have my dad record every single one of them. Even reruns. Reruns. And then, you know, halfway through the episode, she remembers she's seen it. Yeah. And so I those were on in our house all the time. And it was, there, there was enough of it that as a small child, when we lived in White City um, in the neighborhood, I, I had trouble sleeping. Because if I heard a car drive by, I'd be like, that person's going to get out of their car and kill me. That's how I kind of felt all the time. <laughs> Once we moved out to Eagle Point and there was only like coyote sounds. Um, you slept like a baby. I slept like a baby. And now I'm okay because we, we live in town and it's easy for me to fall asleep now. But Yeah. I'm going to plug a podcast that every anyone who likes true crime should listen to. I listen to it every week. It's one of my favorite podcasts of all time. It's Small Town Murder. Uh, the two hosts are... Uh, comedians so oh we should have tried to get them on one of these i guess yeah, we still have time we do i've emailed with them before and have not gotten responses oh, but okay maybe th- they'll respond to you 
Anyway, uh, <laughs> they are hilarious. And the format is one of them does all of the research incredibly in depth. And he tells the other one. So the other comedian's hearing it for the first time. Basically, he's like, he's like the audience, you know? Yeah. And um, because it is based, they only do small towns. You get just very weird, interesting cases because they also go through the town, like how much people make in this town, how much property is. Like it kind of forms a, this is how people are in this town based on their economy and politics and religion. Super interesting. They they definitely, I mean, I would have forewarn someone that they definitely ride the line oh, on, yeah. on a lot of issues and like stuff I said, like that. They're comedians. It's, so they, yeah. and they're, uh, they're very, uh, what's the word? They, kind, they can be pretty crass. Yeah. And they're kind of like, but they're like, not anything like last podcast on the left. No, no, that one that I can't kinda, listen to. That one that grosses one's me too out. much for me. But yeah. this is this is just like works. a lot of cussing, basically. Yeah, and sometimes, sometimes they do get a, uh, their stereotypes get a little iffy for for me, where I'm like, maybe you shouldn't say that, but it is off the cuff, and they usually are like, eh, we shouldn't have said that, or I don't know, you know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, I I love it. Yeah, I love. They're, the they're kind of like they're like uh, a little bit out of the old school comic. A little bit. Yeah, I you think know. so. And all I have like to 90s. say... Like 90s. Yeah. I, I love ghosts. I love spooky things. And I love true crime. And yeah. that's one of my favorite podcasts because of true crime. But all of that to say... Yeah. That for me, um, these type of movies like uh, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, Seven, mm-hmm. um, even Silence of the Lambs, they, they really get under my skin and I my stomach turns when I watch these movies. And it's usually like when I am watching them... It's kind of like, oh boy. And then when I finish, um, I just think, I love this movie. It's so good. But then the next time I turn it on, I go, oh, how did I watch this the last time? They just really, really psychologically get me. And I think a lot of that is rooted in, and and my sister is listening. Well, maybe she's not listening because this one might be too intense, but maybe not. She's probably listening to this one. Um, she was more affected by your mom's true crime viewings than you. I don't think she was. I, oh, really? I, I would be curious. You know what? I'm sure she's listening, uh, especially because this first one, I think, I think, you know, she could watch this one. Yeah. I, was, I was texting her and asking if she would do it, and she was, like, on the fence if she would re- oh, watch okay. this series. But um, I think she could do this first movie. Although, it it's intense. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, right off the bat, folks, I loved this movie. I loved it. Um, I thought it was, I would say, I think it was a perfect movie. It was a masterpiece. You think it's a perfect movie? I th- I had no, the, the only issues I had were like dating issues, you know? Yeah. And they were like personal preferences, but they weren't like, that is a bad decision they made, I yeah. thought. Um, and I think that this movie is basically like, oh, if this movie doesn't get made, I could probably, if I sat down and looked at IMDb, find probably somewhere between a hundred and a thousand movies that would not have been made. <laughs> this feels like you have like your Alfred Hitchcocks and you have your old crime thrillers and stuff. And then you have like this movie, which marks like the new wave of like crime thriller, serial killer movies. And I just thought it, I think it's a complete masterpiece and I loved it. Cool. Um, should I get into yeah. the, yeah. So it's directed by Michael Mann. Who he has done um, Public Enemies, Miami Vice, 
Um, collateral. Collateral. Uh, I didn't even write down his credits. I just um, know most of them. Heat. Um, and th- this was the first... I've seen several of his movies, but this was the first movie that I felt like it... I really got it, and it and it connected to me personally. Cool. Um, I know that Heat's a great movie. I'd like to rewatch it again. The first time I saw it, I actually was not crazy about it, but yeah. I've been wrong before. Yeah. Um, and some of the other ones, like Collateral, is really good, but it's kind of too long. I think. <laughs> yeah, I like that movie a lot. Uh, yeah, no, I, I didn't really like how it was filmed, but I really liked the movie. Yeah. But and did. I was afraid that this movie could have been shot in a similar way. Uh-huh. And I was glad that it wasn't. This movie seemed very artistic. Yes, which maybe I'll just skip to this note. This movie was um at the time it came out, the it didn't do all that well. Yeah. But it was basically seen as a movie that critics and audience were saying this movie's too stylish. That was people's criticism of the movie. And so when it first came out, people thought this is like not realistic. It's not. It's too stylish. And then years later, people look back and they were they go, "Oh, he was." We like stylish, actually. (laughs) He basically just made a movie like ten, fifteen years ahead of its time. Is basically what he did. Oh yeah. So because you watch this movie, and I mean, I was sitting there just thinking, "Oh, David Fincher's career doesn't exist without this movie," and um. You know, we all know that, um, well, maybe we don't, but Christopher Nolan loves Michael Mann. Oh, I didn't know that. Like, there's no Christopher Nolan without Michael Mann. Oh, okay. Maybe not this movie. Yeah. But um, When did Following come out in the 90s? Following came out in 90, uh, yeah, 90 something. I was going to say nine, but I think that's when Memento came out. No, Memento came out in 2000. So, uh, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and the screenplay is also by Michael Mann, um, and it's based on Thomas Harrison's or Thomas Harris's first Hannibal book, Red Dragon. Mm-hmm. So um, that came out in 1981. Then this movie comes out in 1986. Um, there's he wrote Red Dragon. Uh, then in I think 88 he wrote Silence of the Lambs, yep. and then we'll go from there when we get there. Uh, the music is by Michael Rabini who is in the band The Reds, or is The Reds. I'm not really sure. I thought the music was very cool in this movie. I liked the music, yeah. Also, we've we've gone through enough of time that all of this type of scoring is like how movies are scored again. <laughs> yeah, less dated. I think it's a little bit more timeless these days. Yes. But that's me speaking now. In the future, it might not be. But I also liked the music, the, what is it called? Because you have the soundtrack... Yeah, the soundtrack. The score, but then the other music they added, I also thought was good. Yeah, the sound. That's the soundtrack. Soundtrack. Okay, the soundtrack was also good. Yeah, the song they chose when the serial killers uh, reached the brink was unbelievable. Yeah, very cool. I loved that song. Um, so cinematography is by Dante Spinotti, and my goodness, Dante, you outdid yourself on this movie. Um, and speaking of that. Uh, there there are a bunch of different. There's basically like three main colors of the movie: green, blue, red. Oh, maybe four. I was thinking white. Oh yeah, because of Hannibal's cell. Yeah, and and I saw there was like a breakdown of what it was, but I wanted to watch the movie and try and figure it out myself. Yeah, and I think 
Um, Maybe not get rid of red. Just do those three. Yeah, because I think blue is his family and his kind of personal life that he's trying to hold on to. Green is the tooth fairy mm-hmm. slash solving the crime. And then white is the Hannibal stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, th- those were very prominent. If you want to get me and Micah to like something, color code it. <laughs> yeah. We like for another example, we love Jack White. Guy color codes everything. Yes. Put colors in it. That's what we want to yeah. see. Uh, the movie comes out August 15th, 1986. So it's in a few years, it's going to be its 40th anniversary. And um, the budget of the movie was either 14 or 15 million, depending on where you look. And there's no worldwide total, but domestically, it makes 8.6 million. So oh. it doesn't do great. Uh, now it's considered a cult classic. Okay. I think, from what I can gather, I think it's starting to get above the cult cat cult classic cool realm i think uh, as more like film students study it and stuff like that i think it's becoming like oh this is as good as anything silence of the lambs you know um so speaking of which mr hannibal lecter is played for the first time on screen by legendary actor brian cox and he based his performance on the swedish serial killer Peter Swedish Manuel or um Scottish oh okay Scottish serial like, killer uh, I was looking up a different person <laughs> Peter Manuel yeah and I looked him up uh he is American born Scottish serial killer so he was born in New York but I think around five years old moved to Scott back to Scotland like his parents immigrated okay from Scotland um and he is uh Scott he's known as Scotland's most notorious serial killer okay um he uh is a pretty pretty interesting person i guess like you know he during his childhood it was known well known that he was bullied okay um, a lot and then uh by the age of 10 he was known to be a petty thief so got into the life of crime very early on Um, if i can what does that mean what's a petty thief i'm assuming that means he's stealing like maybe it begins with stealing candy and then he's stealing like not like I don't I've never looked it up, but I always think of it as he's stealing like little things from a convenience store and then it maybe progresses to he's stealing money or more. But he's not like things. ripping off a bank or something like that. No. Okay. <laughs> um and then so he started as a petty thief and then when he becomes a teenager, he's you know, committed a lot of sexual assaults. Mm-hmm. Um and then it when he gets even later in his life, uh, he is known to have he is known to have murdered. Um, let's see, of murdering he's convicted of murdering seven people, but is believed to have murdered two more. Wow! And among these people, it's you know there's one that's a teenage girl, and then there's one where it's three women, like it's a daughter, a sister, and a mother, um, all murdered at the same time, and then. After that, there's another woman who he believed to er murdered, actually two other women, and then a whole family he murdered. And when he murdered the family, he stayed there for a week and, Mm -hmm. like, was living in their house and eating their food. Oh, I don't like that. Yeah. And so he, when he was arrested, he was arrested because he he murdered the family, and the father of the family had just gotten some banknotes, and he was discovered using the banknotes to buy things. I mean, it was traced back to this family who was murdered. Okay. Um, he, you know, denied a lot of it for a long time, was believed that he was being, like, 
you know, wrongfully convicted, but uh, he is convicted of doing it. So he goes to court for all, for the family. Um, and he, so like it said in here, convicted of killing seven people, but believed to have killed two more. Uh, I believe it was, if he was not convicted of the seven people, he would have been tried for the other ones. So it's kind of like oh. either way he was going to get convicted. Did, did you see sense. if was he he was convicted in Scotland? I'm imagining, yes. not America. Okay, no, yeah, because he never went back to America. Right. Okay. Um, but let's see. Let's see. There was something else. Oh yeah. So during his trial, um, his defense. You know, he has appointed defense lawyers that he dismissed pretty soon after, um, because he believed that he could represent himself better. Oh, which is like that's like very the serial killer Ted Bundy thing. Yeah, Ted Bundy did the same thing, and as we know, because he's been beaten to death with documentaries <laughs> yeah. and movies, uh, Ted Bundy was very intelligent and uh, also very uh, sociopathic. And um, yeah, I guess he, you know, he b- truly believed that he was the best for his defense, which is probably the thing that would have damned him the most you would think. Yeah. But so with him, I think you can assume the same thing. He had these lawyers and then he's like, oh, why do I need people's help? I can do it because I'm better than people. Like yeah. the, the, I'm better than the people who have like studied to be lawyers, which so, like, so it's he never a good idea. Yeah. So then later on I was reading that like, so he's convicted. He was hanged. One of the, I think he's one of the last, let's see. I'm going to make sure he is the third to last criminal to be executed in Scotland. Really? Wow. According to what I'm reading. But, um, he, it, it's interesting because I read in another source them saying that uh, his mental health was never brought into question. Like, hmm. you know, there was no insanity plea or there was no psychiatrist who um, tested him to see if he was even fit to stand trial um, that I saw. But it's at the same time, if he is defending himself, if he's representing himself and I'm, you know, assuming that he's someone who thinks he can literally get away with murder and thinks he's so smart that he can talk his way out of murder like having murdered people he's probably not going to bring up his mental health yeah because he's think he thinks he's fine right if that makes right. sense yeah um which is so fascinating to to think about yeah but i think yeah the the whole hannibal lecter thing how it goes into that what's interesting is hannibal is incredibly intelligent yeah um, but also is a sociopath. You know, mm-hmm. he thinks he is better than everyone to the point. And in this movie, he's talking about how, you know, he's comparing himself to God. Yeah. He's like, if God, you do what God does enough times, you, you become, become God, God, which is killing people. Yeah. Pretty interesting to think about. Mm-hmm. And and speaking of, it just popped into my brain. This is sort of a side tangent, but um, the Ted Bundy stuff, there was that movie with Zac Efron. Mm-hmm. And people have got to stop doing titles like this. Extremely wicked, shockingly evil, and vile. Yeah, I agree. How are you going to recommend that to anyone? You're just going to be like, it's that movie... Um, that guy runs in it. Extremely plays- wicked, vile, and uh, something else. Is it a book, you think? I, well, let me look. I, I don't think so. But th- there's also I mean, like... It's um, a bad title for a book if it's a book, but... Based on the book, The Phantom Prince, My Life with Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy. So how about just the Phantom Prince? That's a better title. Although Phantom Thread was maybe a year later. Well, I don't know. It's anyway, you know, and you know, there's like Birds of Prey or the Fantabulous Amant. Come on, enough with those. Even even Birdman has that 
very long title. It's like, all right. We get it. We get it. We get it. You want to show that you're smart. We get it. (laughs) Um, Okay, so you may be thinking to yourself, all the rest of these Hannibal movies are called what the book is called. Why is this movie not called Red Dragon? And why is it called kind of a generic title? Like Manhunter. Did you see Manhunter this weekend? Sounds like it's a movie that's starring Steven Seagal or something like that. It doesn't sound like a intense thriller movie. Um, but the year before this came out, the same producer of Manhunter produced this movie starring Mickey Rourke called Year of the Dragon, and it bombed. And so he was oh, like, "I don't, don't put dragons in titles." Yes, I don't want that. And then also. There were so many martial arts movies coming out at this time that they didn't want oh. people to think this is like a Bruce Lee movie. That is totally valid. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. But um, you almost wonder if it is a little bit of a case of maybe if the title was better, if it would have done better. I don't know. Like, if I, if, if this came out right now, I'd be like... I don't think it's like, a bad title. Do you think it's a bad title? I kind of like it, but doesn't it sound like, oh, it's one of those, like, you know, B, B Liam Neeson movies, Manhunter. Like, if you didn't know anything about it and you just went to the theater, you're like, oh, yeah, Manhunter, I can skip that. That's like an action movie. Kind of, but when you realize that it's about a detective hunting a serial killer, you go, yeah, I guess that makes sense that that's the title. Yeah. I, I think, um, I, I, I didn't write it down, but I think Brian Cox later in his career said something about, like, man, that was such a bad title for a movie. Yeah. And I think he, I think he actually might have said, like, I, it would have done better if we didn't call it that. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, it works. With all the uh, uh, circumstances, though, it makes sense that they couldn't do Red Dragon. It does, yeah. Um, Michael Mann, so if I don't know if you know this, but he is very known for, like like a few years before this movie, he, he came out with this movie starring, um, my goodness, what is his name? The dad from Elf. James? Con. Con. Can. Whatever. Um, Con. Okay. Uh, and it's about a jewel thief. Okay. And... When Michael Mann makes a movie, he, like, researches these things and spends time with a jewel thief or with hi- with um, Heat. He was hanging out with bank robbers, like, figuring out how would you really do this, mm. you know? And so he spent time with the FBI's behavioral science unit where he claimed to have met people very like the character of Will Graham. Um, this level of research led Brent E. Turvey to describe the film as, quote, one of the most competent blends of cutting-edge forensic science and criminal profiling at the time. Mann also spent several years corresponding with imprisoned murderer Dennis Wayne Wallace. Wallace has been motivated by his obsession for a woman he barely knew and believed that Iron Butterfly's song In Gata Davida, In Agata Davida was, quote, their song. This connection inspired Mann to include the song in the film. Shoot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, and then man wanted people to um wish that hannibal was in the movie more than he was he he wanted he to succeeded. keep him short he succeeded yeah which is another thing in sounds of the lambs they do that too mm-hmm. like he's actually doesn't have that much screen time yeah but you leave the movie and you're like hannibal like wow yep. um and Michael Mann was unable to gain permission to use a plane for um, this for one of the scenes, and so they booked tickets for the crew on a flight from Chicago to Florida. Once on board, the crew used their equipment, checked in as hand luggage to shoot the scene quickly, while keeping the plane's passengers and crew mollified with Manhunter crew jackets. Wow, <laughs> that's expensive. 
And that is definitely pre 9-11 to be able to sneak <laughs> filming yeah. equipment onto a plane. Um, the climactic shootout at the movie uses, which I didn't even realize they had access to this back in the day. Stupid on me, I guess. Uh, he uses 24, 36, 72, and 90 frames a second. Oh, okay. So that they, it's, so that's just kind of a cacophony and strange and feels really weird. Okay. Which I think very successful. Mm -hmm. That scene was kind of weird. Um, and then here's, here's what we, we always go back to this, uh, uh, method acting. So, uh, Noonan, who yeah. was the serial killer. Ooh, he did method acting? Well, he asked that no one playing his victims and pursuers be allowed to see him, while those he did speak to should address him by his character's name, Francis. The first time Noonan met Peterson was when Peterson jumped through the large window at uh -huh. the fight scene, and Noonan admits that because of his request, the atmosphere on set became so tense that people actually became afraid of him. Oh, he had, gosh. <laughs> he had also begun bodybuilding to prepare for the role and felt that his size intimida intimidated the crew when filming began, as the first scene to be shot was his character's interrogation and murder of another. Noonan claims that this led him to take separate flights and stay in separate hotels from the rest of the cast. And while on the film set, he would remain in his trailer alone in the dark to prepare himself, sometimes joined by a silent man. As in Michael Mann. Just sitting in the trailer with him. And that freaks me the cuss out. Yeah. Now, frankly, it's an unbelievable performance. Yeah. So it is like on an artistic level. Okay. I mean, it worked. But at the same time, I'm always just like, why, why go that deep into something that could really mess up your brain in a, in a very negative way? Yeah. But um, he's had a long storied career and seems to be fine. So, <laughs> um. And then uh, in the scene where he is dead and he's in that pool of blood, yeah. I guess they had to stage it for so long that he became like stuck to the floor. Oh. <laughs> and then Peterson, uh, the main character, mm -hmm. he had trouble losing the character after filming. And he, like after they were done filming, he had to like, he changed his hair color and shaved his beard just so that he could like see someone else in the mirror. So it really got mm. into his brain. Interesting. And then finally... Um, this movie influenced the famous CSI, X-Files, Profiler, and many, many other television series. And of course, with CSI, William Peterson is the star of the show for 10, 12 years. So I guess he really couldn't get that image out of his head. <laughs> I guess not. But, um, basically, this movie not only influenced film, but it influenced TV and, like, a new side of like crime scene investigation and getting in the mind of a killer and so stuff. So there weren't really shows like that yet? Not not to the extent of this, no. Hmm. So um, th this is like I a, just can't imagine a world without those things. I know, because we grew up with it already at like its peak of being so much. Yeah. Um, but it's just, it's funny that this movie is so influential and yet if I stopped like 10 people on the street, they might be like, I've never heard of that movie. And yet it's it's probably one of the top like a thousand movies of influence, you yeah, know. Yeah. So cool. That's that's the notes I got. Okay, so William Peterson, you said, is CSI boy. That is correct. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. He's also in To Live and Die in LA. Another Michael Mann. Oh, he's in Fear. Not a Michael Mann movie, okay. Uh Manhattan, Blue, Detachment, and just mostly CSI, honestly. Yeah. 
Um, Kim Greist plays Molly Graham, his wife. She is in Brazil. She's also not the country, the movie, <laughs> the Terry Gilliam movie. Um, she's also in Throw Mama from the Train, a hilarious Billy Crystal, Danny DeVito flick. I just imagine. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey. Whoops, did not mean to click on that. Um, Zoe, she's also in X Files, and a lot of a lot of movies. She's been very busy throughout her career. You know, it's weird. I I thought she died because I looked at her filming, and the last movie she was in was in two thousand and one, and she has no other acting credits. But she, according to IMDb, is still alive. She probably just retired. Yeah, that's just unusual, you know? Yeah, it is. Um, and then Joan Allen plays Reba McClain, who is the blind woman in this movie. Mm-hmm. She's in Room, Death Race, The Crucible, Nixon. Uh, she's also in The Notebook. And so much more. She's in but The But those Bourne are the movies. big hits. Oh, and The Bourne movies. That's, that's like yes. how I know her. I know her from The Notebook. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Brian Cox, like you said, uh, he is in... Uh, Succession plays Logan Roy. Oh, man. Everyone need that is worth the admission for HBO Max alone is Succession. Yes, yes. Um, he is also in several Wes Anderson movies, including Rushmore. He is a narrator in Fantastic Mr. Fox, and is probably a more that I'm just not thinking of. Yeah, he's I wa- part I of the West. I wonder if he's Anderson in Isle of crew. Dogs. He probably is. Probably. I feel like he he likes again. fitting him in. I mean, Wes Anderson. If you're in one of his movies, he'll probably try and fit you in the next one. Yeah. Um, adaptation. Uh, he's also in X-Men, or X2, X-Men United, Troy, The Autopsy of Jane Doe. Oh, he's in a Bourne movie as well. At oh, he le- is? At is least he, one. Does he play a bad guy? Yeah, he, um, I think he's in the Bourne Identity. He is just... I think. Wonderful. He, yeah, he has such a, um mad grandpa energy even in this movie it's like oh that's like an old grandpa that that you don't want to cross but you kind of love him and i i think it will never not be like charming because he is scottish and his accent is pretty light Uh for being scottish yeah and it pretty much shows up in every role he's in and i love it yeah (laughs) yeah okay and then we also have dennis farina who plays jack jack crawford the chicago guy oh yeah (laughs) um he is in get shorty snatch midnight run snatch That's probably what he was familiar about he's a new girl a he's lot a, of he's TV a legend shows. he's a legend what what is his name again though dennis farina dennis farina okay then tom noonan plays francis our uh, titular red dragon <laughs> uh he is in syndic Co- how do you pronounce that cynic doke new york cynic doke new york have you seen that movie no have, it's, have i seen that movie no but it's, oh, it's it the a movie. Charlie Kaufman movie that we've That's been right. meaning to watch for a long time. But He's also in RoboCop 2 and a Melissa, so he's a Charlie Kaufman guy. Oh, he's in that one too. Okay. Uh, he's also in the 12 Monkeys TV show, uh, Animals, Wonderstruck, and a lot of other TV shows. And what I know him from, which has come up on this podcast so many times actually, is Arnold Schwarzenegger's The Last Action Hero. A great very underrated movie and he is the bad guy the ripper oh okay and he's he is his makeup and stuff in that movie is horrifying really scary (laughs) i don't remember what he looks like and then apparently stephen lang's in this movie i'm not convinced oh no 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 that's right because we found out who he is he plays the reporter 
Yeah. To which you could have, I would have never guessed I'd in a million years. I never would years. have guessed. He looks and, so different these days. Yeah. We have covered him on, oh no, everyone's heard us talk about him. Yeah. That, yeah. Okay. Stephen Lang. People. Well, and and I gotta say, when we when we saw that title card and it said Stephen Lang, I turned to Jordan and I said, you know, one of our complaints ever since we watched Immortal Engines or Mortal Engines, excuse me, um, is when we watch another movie, we'll turn and we'll go, that may have been a good movie, but it doesn't have Shrike in it. Yeah, one of our most beloved characters of the 2010s, and um. This movie has Shrike, so and it's, this movie's got stri- Shrike, it gets a pass. so it gets a pass. It's cool. It's Even cool. if it was bad, Shrike's in it. <laughs> and one one little amendment I want to make to what I said earlier about the movie is, um, I said it was a perfect is such a strong word. It can be but, if you feel that way, Mike. No, no, I know, but I I thought of it more of like, you know how like Roger Ebert, his he, he would have like four stars, and that's like the highest you can get, and he had a ton of four star movies. So I'm I more do that now these days where it's like yeah that was a ten star for me, which means perfect. Yeah. So just use the word perfect, please. Don't okay. don't be a technical guy. Okay. <laughs> okay. So let's jump right into Manhunter. Um, starts with the POV of the serial killer, and he uh-huh. is going through a house, very creepy. Um, flashlights and all that stuff. Walks up into the bedroom, the master uh, bedroom. Yeah, and there's a woman and a man there. And the woman wakes up, and that's it. That's it. And then we cut to William Peterson, Will. Graham. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> William Peterson, Will Graham. His character has the same Will first Graham name. Will Graham is with Dennis, or is with uh, Jack Crawford at the beach. Yes, and um, th- this is already, I mean, I just love when movies do this, because scene one of this character I pretty much know everything about him already because the guys basically um, Jack Crawford is saying, Hey, we need your help on this case. Um, It seems to be happening on lunar um, cycles. I don't know if he says that in this scene, but at some point he says that. So we have three weeks until his next killing. Full moon. Full moon. Um, So we have three weeks until his next killing. And then Will's like, I can't, I, 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 you know, he's like, I wouldn't have come here if I didn't, if I didn't need your help. Yeah, and he gives him two pictures, and they're the victims. Yeah, and the scene is really good, like you said, for setting up characters. We don't know what happened to Will Graham yet. Yeah, but right then you're like, oh, so he used to be a detective or a manhunter or whatever, and it got too intense for him, and, and he had to quit. clearly really good at his job. Yeah, so already, I mean, by this point, I'm like, oh, okay, I love this movie, and I'm yeah. already like fully into it. I think that... Uh, all the acting is really, really good in this movie. I do think Will Graham, I think, because you said, like, this movie kind of sets up a lot for other movies in a yeah. good way, which yeah. is great. Um, I think that because, um, oh, you didn't say, this movie is the same movie as Red Dragon. Later on when we cover the same Red... same story, yeah. That's what I mean. It's the same story. So later on, but but when you do look it up, the, the Hannibal series, um, they're both part of the series. Yeah. But they are both the same story in the same book, source material. Yeah, so technically this is um, not, like if we're talking continuity, this is not a part of what we'll be covering starting next week. But a lot of people include it, so we are including it. Um, yeah. That being said, so I, I think because of this movie and what every what all has come after, I think that his performance is nowhere near bad. It is really good, but it is very just the brooding dude that doesn't know how to smile. 
Like he's, yeah. he's very tortured and he has a right to be, they, they really, they explain that all very well, but I think, uh, it is not my favorite Okay. type of brooding. It, it's not very, um, memorable for me. Sure. Um, and I think that's only because of what we have now, like what other things I've seen now that are really good. Like I even think, and I haven't seen Red Dragon in a really long time, but I remember like throughout this movie, I'm like, I just feel like Edward Norton just did a much better job with the character. That's so from my feeling. Yeah. I haven't seen it, so I mean, yeah. may, maybe I'll agree with you. I, the, uh, I mean, he definitely is brooding, and I totally, not only understand, but I do agree with you. But at the same time, it worked. It, it, I felt like because of the way they shot this movie and the script and everything, I truly felt like I was in his head. So and that's when because he was he like was speaking to no one for half of his role, and I'm curious if that's what it's like yeah. in the book. I really want to know if it's. I need to read the book. I need to read the series because I want to know if know, the character talks out loud, or if that was an artistic choice. Which I'm not saying it's necessarily bad, and I also can't remember if like Edward Norton does it. Yeah, because if he does, that's probably in the book. Right. But I that stuff is always kind of like. It's hard to ugh. make that work. It is really hard to make it work. I will say that I do think overall it does work for the movie because the movie is artistic, but it is hard for me not to to f- almost feel like that eye roll. Like, yeah. okay. Well, I, th- I think um, part of the eye roll is that we've seen so many stories since then that have Definitely. done the talking out loud thing. Definitely. For me, it really worked because I felt like I was in his brain Yeah. and having that same emotion where he's alone in a hotel room watching something and being like, what were you thinking? What were you and I thinking? Think, I think too, I had to like remind myself what was going on in the story. Cause throughout the story, when he's investigating, there are times where he says like, out loud, like you're not going to kill these people again. Like I won't let you do that. And he's just saying it to no one but himself. Like yeah. there's literally no one else around him. And that is just really eye rolly to me because it's like, yeah, we know that you don't want him to kill any more people. Yeah. We don't like, but I think he's reacting so emotionally because Hannibal's involved. Yeah. And we learn how his relationship to Hannibal. So like in the end, it makes, it does work. It makes sense. And it's a good performance. But like I've said, because of what we have now, it is sure. a little bit like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally see what you're saying. Um, and I think that this leads right into this note that I wrote here is like a good crime thriller. Um, and especially like a detective kind of story. What I think elevates it above just being like a B popcorn movie is when it has like a distinct mood and a distinct style. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that this movie right away for me, I was just like, oh, this is its own movie. Yeah. And even though I've seen movies um, not rip it off, but but borrow from this movie, it's like, oh, this is this is its own experience. And whenever I watch a bad crime thing it's like oh they they're just trying to copy that they didn't set a mood no you know like when i watch girl with a dragon tattoo when i think about that movie i feel like it's really cold it's gray it's blue and gray it's very disturbing i can like feel the mood same with seven i can like feel that mood when i think about it they really he really captures the griminess in that yeah and then like to me for gone girl it's like to me that color palette are greens and yellows yeah that one I see more as blue, but maybe that's just because of the the cover. Oh, I think I think that way because I think the cover of the book has a lot of green in it or like green yeah. hues to it. Yeah. But yeah. But anyway, they set a mood 
and they they shoot them in such a way that is unique. That's what mm-hmm. elevates it to like, oh, this is A plus material to my criticisms, I yeah. guess. And I think, you know, with these types of movies too, the writing is probably more important than anything. Yeah. The story has to be good. Um, and then th- right after that follows, the director has to be good at telling a story. Uh-huh. Because if the director is not confident in the source material, the movie won't be good. Yeah. And uh, just just since we're mentioning stuff, another great one, one of the best, probably a perfect movie. Yeah, definitely a perfect movie is Prisoners as well. Mm-hmm. Denis Villeneuve's. And that sets a mood. Yes. You know, you're in the head of, I would say Hugh Jackman. For me, when I watch it, I feel I, Hugh Jackman, my favorite performance of his. Mm-hmm. Arguably Jake's best performance. Oh, he's too so impossible. Good. He has like five that are his best, depending on which one you're watching. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so then basically right away, Will looks at those photos and when he sees them, he's like, I have to do this. Yeah. Um, and later there's that scene where he's arguing with the, the detective, which, well, we'll save that. We'll yeah. save that. Um, cause that was like a good payoff. That was me. a good that payoff. That was really yeah. good writing. Um, but the wife, his wife wants him to stay. But she's like, I know it's selfish. But she knows that he's going to go. She knows he's already made up yeah. his mind, even though he's asking her what he should do. I thought, what did you what did you think of the um, the wife and family element of this movie? I thought, it was, I think she's a really, I thought she did a good job. But I mean, I, like the writing, the characterization and stuff like that. How did you feel? I mean, I think she only served one purpose. That's true. But I mean, like it's to humanize him. So whatever kind of you know it's like i i understand why they put it and i do think in a lot of ways too it's even necessary but if they decided to for him not even to have a family that would be okay with me too yeah but i i like that and then there again it's like i should really read the book because i am curious how much more that character could be in it yeah because in a movie you have less time i just think um i i liked how she was acting and how she was written because she never she felt like she was frustrated that he was doing what he was doing but she was never um angry at him she was angry at the circumstance yeah. and um I, uh, yeah i kind of felt like i do i see what you're saying it's, this is funny i like totally get everything you're saying and i kind of agree with you but i almost feel like the family element is like what makes this movie work okay because um he has something he's trying to get back to and especially the scene with his son in the grocery store was that was probably one of the best scenes in the whole movie for me oh my gosh yeah um anyway so so will goes to the first crime scene Mm -hmm. and anytime you're watching an older movie you always wonder how graphic the movie is going to (laughs) be if you're me at least and when he turns on the light, I was like, oh, dang. Yeah. The room is covered in blood. And it was like a fairly shocking um, amount of And he's talking and about stuff. it into a tape recorder. Yeah. Everything that's happened, which uh, it's, it's almost um, more horrifying to see it this way than us having the movie cutting back to what to like he's talking and it's showing what's happened. Uh-huh. It, but this way it's a little bit worse because you have to make it up in your mind the insinuation uh-huh um i i think that's that's really great but also it's a it was a really great part for his character because we're seeing how he processes a crime scene yeah and he he's asking a lot of why questions because his whole character is about getting into the mind of the killer uh-huh so you know he's like 
he sees all of the blood spray on the wall. And then he's like, oh, the husband's jugular vein was severed. Yeah. But all of the blood spatter shows that he was trying to get to the children. And then over on the other wall, there's a lot of blood splatter, which doesn't really make sense based on how the woman was m- murdered. But then that's how he kind of realizes that after the killer kills the people, he sets them up like an audience to watch him. Ugh. So um, it's, it's a lot. It's that part was very well written. Yeah. Um, and then we see, we see him and he's up in his hotel room. He's like watching footage. And this is when he find, realizes that um, the killer probably took off his gloves to touch them and to touch t- the wife open their specifically. eyes specific yeah everyone's eyes specifically touching the wife yes um because he is watching like home videos of the family and you know he's just like both women are very beautiful yeah and that's when he realizes that like this man craves uh it is like in a way like sexually motivated yeah for being seen and loved by a woman but also to be seen and loved by people in general Uh so like you said he would um set up the family and open all of their eyes so they could all look at him. Yeah. And so that's what the, like one of their first breaks and they're trying to find some prints and stuff. Yes. And then we find out that, um, Peterson says, I'm not Peterson, Graham, Will Graham says, I, I need to go see Hannibal. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, uh, Crawford says, why? And he says, I need to get back in the mindset. Yeah. And that's what I'm going. Oh shoot, man. Yeah. And this is, from the only the two movies I've seen in this series that's based on these books, I think this is the brilliance of these books is that you you not only get into the mind of a killer just like a detective would, but you have an actual killer that barring I'm assuming the movie Hannibal Rising, the other three movies is someone we actually don't we didn't see why they were put there in the first place. Right. We but we get to use their mind. Mm-hmm. And see it from their perspective. That is probably what makes the story more unique than like it's what sets the story apart yeah. from other detective stories. Yeah. It is so unusual. And um, so then when Will shows up at the the cell, mm-hmm. um, first of all, unbelievably shot. Mm-hmm. It is so cool because every single shot in that first scene, you're seeing into the other side of the bars from behind the bars. Yeah. So every shot you see bars and you see the separation between Hannibal and Will. Mm-hmm. And what's cool is later when you go in there, the bars are not separating them as much. And it's usually shot from Hannibal's perspective from then on because Hannibal has like the upper hand from then on in the movie. Yeah. And what's crazy is so. Ah, that's <laughs> so cool. Hannibal's a, a serial killer who yeah. has been convicted and is in jail, but he is so cunning and smart. You know, he has weaseled his way into getting all of his books that he wants. He even gets phone calls. Yeah. And he probably shouldn't be getting phone calls. Yeah. Um, and we see why. Uh, but we can talk about this scene more. Yeah, well, it's it's the it's the you know, the Jodie Foster scene of this uh-huh. movie. Yeah. Um I will say I think that um I think I like Anthony Hopkins a little bit more, but it is I think they play it differently enough that it's it's like, oh, this is just cool that Brian Cox mm-hmm. is doing this. Mm-hmm. And he's he's almost playing like a laid back genius. Yeah. Whereas Hopkins is a little more like, I'm intense. Well, he I'm looks in your hungry. face. And oh yeah, yeah. You're right. And and this one's more like, oh, I just don't like how comfortable this guy is. Yes. Is how Brian Cox is yeah. playing it. And um and so they're talking and 
uh, Will's trying to get him to help him with the case. Mm -hmm. And he eventually gives him the files. And then Hannibal, uh, or, or Will... I love this. He when he walks out of the cell, he runs out of the building, and there's these beautiful shots. They shot it in like a museum in Atlanta, so it's just. Oh, like, I was curious where that was. It was very cool. Yeah, and this beautiful stairway, and you can tell that Will is like can't stand that he was in the same room as Hannibal. Yeah, um, and there's some mention about like Hannibal physically hurt him, but we don't really know what that means yet. Yes. And when he when he goes outside, this reporter played by Stephen Lang. <laughs> apparently. <laughs> apparently. He takes a picture and then the next day it's like Manhunter um seeks help of a uh, Hannibal to find um And and Graham is uh, already Tooth Fairy pretty, Killer. Yeah, yeah. Graham is already pretty famous for his work on Hannibal. Yeah. Um and so and and like I'm sure it was very well covered in the news that he was put in like a mental like he was put in the psychiatric ward of a hospital because of that experience. So he's like kind of salacious news. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then after that, do we go to like the police station area? Well, I think, um, right after that is when Hannibal then, um, calls. Okay. And he finds Will's home address. And then, um, not, so not only does Hannibal get calls, he gets private calls. Which, yeah. I mean, maybe that's the right of the prisoner. I have no idea. Like, well, and, and this is like, per, I mean, this is the 80s. So I think maybe like call, maybe they couldn't monitor or something. I don't know. Or maybe it's just the contrivance of the movie. Yeah, maybe. And that's fine because it was very uh, chilling because he's talking to someone to get his address and he's just being so, so smooth and like, you know, what conversational. He was doing? No, this is, he broke open the phone and he touched aluminum and I bet. Oh, we didn't even see that part. Yeah, he had a piece of gum. Oh. And he, he broke open the phone and he touches so something. So it couldn't be tracked. That's what it was, I'm sure. And mo- and they didn't even Shoot. tell us that. And that was probably Michael Mann talking to that serial killer, doing research and finding out that people probably do that in prison. I was looking at my phone at that moment of the movie. Yeah, whoops. What were you doing looking at your phone? I don't know. Like, <laughs> my mom probably texts me. Um, but... I was teasing you. Oh, okay. But yeah, so he he gets Graham's home address. Crazy, crazy. And uh, we're not 100% sure like what he is doing yet. No. But we know it's not going to be good. uh, Yeah. Well, and I'm I'm sitting there and I'm going, I know that in Silence of the Lambs, like Hannibal escapes and stuff. Mm -hmm. But I'm thinking he didn't do that. There's no way he does it in this story as well. Yeah. But I'm like, how would he have the upper hand? He's behind bars. Yeah. But that's the scary part of it. Yeah. Um, and so then Will goes to the second house where the other murder's at. And he's trying to investigate how, I guess, like the, like where the murderer could have a vantage point of, uh, studying the family and knowing when they go to bed based on the location of this house. That's when he goes into the woods. Uh, he finds like a wrapper of a candy bar. And then he also finds, he climbs up a tree because his intuition tells him to, because of a rope. Yeah. You can see now he's starting to get into the mindset. Yeah. He's like, I would probably go up here. Cause once he goes up into the tree, he sees, he gets an even better view of the house. And then he even sees a branch that was cut down so that he could see better. And then there was also a carving into the tree that yeah. they later analyzed. And it is, uh, a Chinese symbol for good luck and gambling. And it is also on Mahjong, uh, a symbol on Mahjong, which is a game. Chinese oh, okay. Game. Um, did they say that in the movie? They did. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh no, actually I'm a Mahjong master. You didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but also I think they said as a symbol for red dragon. Okay. I don't, I can't, they might not have actually like literally said that, but it has to do with the red dragon stuff. Well, and, and you know, actually, cause I, I guess, um, the, the serial killer has like a huge red dragon tattoo on his back. Um, they don't show us that in this movie, do they? Well, that's what I was going to say. They, they, I think they even filmed it, but they cut it. For whatever um, reason. For whatever reason. And so it almost does make sense that they didn't... Like, if you if you saw the movie and you're like, this is called Red Dragon, I think you'd walk out and, and you'd go, why was that called Red Dragon? Yeah. That might have been another reason why they didn't call it that. Because oh. there's not really any yeah. references beside this one little moment. Let and, me just tell you, from my memory, they get into it way more in the other movie. I th- Yeah, I, I saw just looking through, yeah. like, notes and stuff that they it did say, like, in the other movie, the tattoo is shown, like, quite a bit and stuff like that. And so, I even think that the mythology behind it is explored a lot more. That's that's exciting to me, though, because I don't want to see this movie uh, just shot by a less good director. Oh, yeah. I want to see totally. a different movie. Yeah. I mean, I kind of don't want to support Red Dragon, but we'll get into that when we talk about that director. Yes. Who will be added to our He Who Shall Not Be Named list of directors. Yes. So... Are we now at the police station where they're... Oh, is this when he gets the note? Yes, but I, I just want to say one thing. Another brilliant thing about this movie. So we spent all this time with Will, like, going through the trees and looking into the house. And then at the end of the movie, when they find the killer's house, he's in the trees again. But this time he is, like, the stalker and the murderer is the prey. What are you talking about? Oh, with the end of the movie? Yeah, when Yeah, okay. And it's it's almost like he's fully gotten into I didn't think about that. the killer's mindset Very and now cool. he's stalking his prey. And that's when I think movies are fun. Yep. But but instead of choosing to, you know, do something bad, he still he sees that that the killer's going to hurt someone and he chooses to help the hurt person. Mm-hmm. So he fully follows his arc of like becoming the killer, but he doesn't but he still chooses but for good. justice yeah 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 um but yeah let's talk about the the note now and so you kinda... the so who's the note sent to is it is it sent to hannibal but it's confiscated or is it sent to the police station so they find it in hannibal's book in a book that Kay. he got okay and this is one of those this is the part of the movie where it gets really convoluted and not even in a bad way no it, this was when we turned and we said Oh, this is this is like the scene that when you've watched the movie two, three, four times, you're like, okay, now I think I get everything. Yeah, because that's how a detective care, story should be. Yeah, and all I care right now is this is fun. Yeah, and and like I've said before, when I am enjoying a movie a lot, I, it, like convoluted movies, like I've said before, especially gangster movies, I have a really hard time even knowing what's going on. Yeah, but I'm kind. I think it's kind of just being swept away with <laughs> what's happening. Yeah. Um, but he, so the tooth fairy got it to him in a book. And it's it's toilet paper, and it's a message to Hannibal. Yes, and it says something about like he is becoming the red ja- dragon, or I am becoming. Very cryptic, but then he mentions Graham by name, like he can't wait to meet him. Uh, I think, yeah. And then he signs it with avid fan, but it like sent to Hannibal, so avid fan of Hannibal. Um, and then part of the note was even destroyed by Hannibal. Yeah, and they later. Uh, investigate that and there's only like vi- like partial symbols that they can find yeah and that what so th- this part is like come on i mean c- audience can you tell that i love this movie i like can't help but talk <laughs> about it i love this movie it's so good but um so that they they take the toilet paper 
and they get Hannibal out of his cell, and unbeknownst to Hannibal, they're like, we have three hours that we can analyze this without him being suspicious, and we can put it back in his note to, to save face. Yes, 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 that's right. And so there's all this cool CSI stuff. Not only that, there was a bite mark on the toilet paper. Yes. Because everyone's calling him the Tooth Fairy, which I never was totally sure why. And I um, bet we'll figure that out when we watch Red Dragon in a couple of weeks. Yeah, probably, because... Earlier, I think even in this scene or earlier in the movie, there was a guy with um, a mold of one of the victim's teeth. And I think I just missed like one sentence know, he said. I that, know. That and that was so because I'm pretty sure he said one of the women's teeth. Yeah. And he particularly talked about her incisors and it almost sounded like he said that they were removed and changed or there was a mold taken of her teeth, maybe because but, later on we see the red dragon put in teeth. But I, I mean, of course, I didn't say this to you, but a little bit into this podcast, I thought, let's just see if we can get around that, and then we'll explain it more when we talk Red Dragon. I know, but I just want to... No, no, I know, interesting, because he... I just didn't want the audience to know we didn't Because in the know, he that. talks about how he... I think it's in the know. He does not... Like, be, being called the Tooth Fairy is just ridiculous. Yeah. He thinks. But then he also puts a bite mark. Well, no, I don't think paper. the killer thinks it's... Um, ridiculous. I think the FBI guy says, like, I don't want this name getting out. But I think that in the no, he also talks about Oh, okay, okay. It, I think. Anyway. Yeah. Um, but they, there's this great scene, and it's like, what we now know is, like, the birth of all these TV shows, like CSI and stuff, where they're analyzing the toilet paper and all this stuff. Trying to get a fingerprint on it. Yeah, and they don't really have enough time to totally find stuff. But they mm -hmm. find a little information, and they find yeah. these references to biblical passages. Mm -hmm. That um, end up not being real. Yes. And so it's like a code they have to decode. So, you know, it says like Micah 1610. Uh -huh. And so they're going, uh, it's got to be some sort of book that Hannibal has. Mm -hmm. And later in the movie, and I had a suspicion and I was, I was like, because I was so invested in this movie, I'm like, I hope it's not this. But when they're like, we don't know what this message says. And then Will says, just run it anyway. Cause they're running, like Hannibal took out an ad in a paper mm -hmm. and that's where this decoded, this message is. Mm -hmm. And he says, just run it anyway. And it's it's Will Graham's home address. That's right. That's right. That's right. And and when they were doing that scene, I was like, please don't be his home address because I was so like invested, and I just go, yeah. it's not going to be. Is that, but I was like, yeah. it's definitely his home address. And, and throughout this, they also finally get a fingerprint of the murderer, but he's not in the system, which yeah. means he's not. He doesn't have a prior criminal past, <sighs> so they yeah. can't use any fingerprints to help them. Yeah, and then. Will, you know, there's some like baiting. They're trying to bait the 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 killer and Will walks outside at night and this jogger comes up and he stops him and it's not the guy. Because I think they put a personal ad in the paper disguising themselves as Hannibal. Yes. Well, they, they take a they, they do that. Um, I think. No, actually, I don't think they, they do that, but he takes a picture with Stephen Lang. That's what it is. And they oh, not it. only that, they so they do an interview with Stephen Lang. Yeah. And in the interview, the detectives are telling him that they believe that the murderer is gay and is impotent. And they're saying all of these false things that they believe to provoke the murderer. Yes. And that's and so that's when they do the whole thing. Uh, that's not the murderer that that Graham runs into. It's just a jogger. But the the tooth fairy killer goes and he grabs the reporter yes because is, he is provoked but he knew that he was trying to be provoked yeah smart boy and when he gets him he gets him in his house and he's wearing nylon on the upper half of his face so you can't really see his face mm -hmm. the killer and he's making Stephen lang look at him yeah and it's i i, I don't know because i don't know i don't know my like 
full, you know, the history. I don't know everything about movies. I'd like to think I do, but I definitely don't. But um, this felt like, oh, this is, it just felt like this performance is maybe one of the most influential, like, performances. Mm-hmm. Because he's doing some weird, weird stuff that I've seen about 3,000 other times by other actors. I agree with that. He's being very slow. I think he, like, broke new ground with this performance. Yeah, he, he's just acting very, like, gentle uh, it's, and It was slow. so scary. Yeah, and even a little soft-spoken. But he is such a tall person. Yeah. He's towering. And I think it is a little unusual. It's just not as comp. Like he has like really white, like blonde hair. Yeah. And he has a cleft lip, which I know is added. That's in the story because Ray Fiennes has a cleft lip in the Red Dragon. So just like he, you know. Oh, Ray Fiennes is that guy. Yes. Sorry for fight. That's a bummer for you. Oh, no, that makes sense. But. um, Well, I know the story now, so. Well, yeah, but like. I think that that shows, you know, he believes, you know, he has a facial deformity. Uh-huh. Therefore, people don't want to look at him. I think it's just another layer oh, of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, dang. Uh-oh. There's there's sirens. Uh-oh. <laughs> we got to shut this podcast down. Um, so he makes um, Lang... He, he wrote something for Lang to say, and he makes him read it into a tape recorder. And it's basically just saying, like, I lied. Yeah, all those things I printed about you aren't true. Yeah. And then the next scene, we see a man on fire in a wheelchair going down into a parking garage, and it's Stephen Lang. And he doesn't die, apparently. He doesn't? They're in the hospital, and they're like, has he regained consciousness yet? Oh. I don't know if he ends up dying. That's kind of the end of his character. Jeez. <laughs> but um, I don't see how one could survive. <laughs> <laughs> well, people do survive I crazy remember, burns. Because I haven't seen this movie, I've seen Red Dragon. This happens in Red Dragon. Newsflash. Uh, and I'm not going to tell you who it is. Okay. But I remember, I think I have seen that scene before I saw the movie and I was a little too young to see it. And oh. it really has like burned, <laughs> pun intended, <laughs> burned an image in my brain that yeah. really makes me feel Well, who's scared. the reporter? You want me to tell you for real? I mean, it doesn't really matter. Philip Seymour. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That'll be the first time we cover Philip Seymour on this podcast, yeah. but it won't be the last. No. Because whenever we cover Mission Impossible... No, wait, we covered him in Hunger Games. Oh, yeah. I guess it'll be the second time, and then someday yeah. we'll do Mission Impossible. We're building up to that. That's yeah. almost like our, our series finale is Mission Impossible. Yeah. But probably not. We're going to do this until we die. <laughs> okay. Um, And so now they break that code, and Will's family has to move away. I cannot believe how we have covered movies with way less complex plots and we have not covered them this well. <laughs> I agree. I think I'm just so into it. I don't want to miss a beat. It's a detective movie, so it is about the details. So when you're watching it, you have to pay a, a different type of attention that's true. to movies like this. So I think that's why. And yeah. we enjoyed it. So Yeah. And um, when they move away, this is when we have one of the best scenes in the movie. Mm-hmm. Maybe the best where well i just want to build up to it so they move into this like witness protection house and uh well first of all we should even say before that so they find out that hannibal gave red dragon his home address graham's home address and then it cuts to soon after that uh his wife in bed and his son comes to her and is like i think someone's trying to get in the house yeah that was really scary because you see like a shadow of a person too it's the police and it's the police so so they're in the new house and um, 
the son is like telling like mom i'm in the kitchen like i basically like it's shown that the kid will not leave the mom alone with dad yeah. because it's never really been explained to the son what happened to dad so therefore the son at this point is kind of scared of dad yeah so then uh the mom says like he's one he wants to talk to you about it face to face yeah so they go to the grocery store and that's when graham tells his son every like basically edited version for the kid what happened to him that he he got into the mindset of this hannibal guy mm-hmm. and um when when he went to see the psychiatrist who was hannibal who had murdered these girls well he he already suspected him yeah but he saw like when he walked in he just knew it was him he's i think he saw a, a book there yeah there was something about the, a book yeah but um but he also said he like immediately just knew it was him yeah and so he runs out to call and the he police calls the police and then hannibal attacks him physically mm-hmm. and then he he says you know my body healed but then the doctors told me that my brain had not healed so that's because his son was like you went to a mental institution and he's like no it was in a hospital yeah and i was sent to the psychiatric ward of the hospital and i i think this movie actually handles that really well like it to me i feel like this movie encourages like being safe about your mental health yeah i mean (laughs) like that's unusual for movies of this time period totally to to be like to to not ostracize this character and say he's a weirdo for having this happen and i i liked when the the son's like what kind of thoughts did you have and all he says is the worst thoughts anyone can have oh were my thoughts and then uh like so that was just the acting was just incredible i love so that you know graham tells his son all about this stuff and then his son you know, it was just kind of looking around and it's like, you like Folgers coffee, right? Just, yeah, it was just really, really sweet. good. Um, also again, Dante Spinotti, you shot this scene really well. Unbelievably well. Very good. And then just Peterson's performance is sublime. Oh, but, yeah. um, soon after that, we, we, and I know I'm probably skipping over stuff to get to this part, but, uh, Hannibal is on the phone with Graham again. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, Graham's trying to get information out of him. However, Hannibal, you know, is too smart and is just trying to like have a conversation with him. And it's talking about like, basically, I know what you were thinking and I know how, how you, you and I are the same person. Like mm-hmm. we share the same thoughts, which to which Graham is like, you know, don't talk about that. Yeah. Um, but that's when Hannibal is talking about how, you know, God kills people all the time. And yeah. gets away with it and is fine with it. And if some one person kills as, as you know, enough people, they could probably become God. Yeah, and, and frankly, I think Hannibal, maybe check your theology at the door here. Oh, a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it, he really gets under Graham's skin. And I think you just learn a little bit more about their relationship, obviously. Yeah. In that scene. And, uh, then we we spend a lot of time with the Tooth Fairy Killer. We find out he's working at this like photo place that um, develops which, film and photo. Yeah, and there's this blind woman that's there, and he takes her home. Mm-hmm. And when they they share a passionate night together. <laughs> yeah, and actually, um, I feel like so they they have sex, and when they a passionate night together. Yeah, and she like puts the moves on him, and like you said. She's blind, so the first person that's really accepting him can't even see him, mm-hmm. which is a lot of like um, there's a lot irony. To, there's a lot of irony and a lot of just Symbolism. baggage and crazy stuff to that. And it you know and gets to the point where he 
truly seems happy for the first time. But before that, yeah. um, I just think um, that that uh, in the sex scene, it was it was done, and and Tom Noonan's acting is is so weird because he like is not wanting to like touch her and stuff. Yeah. And it's weirder than if they would have done like a weird sex scene. Yeah. It was so much weirder seeing him just like uncomfortable with what was happening. Uncomfortable with normal. Yeah. And what was I going to say? You're saying that he, he, like the next morning, he seems like he's happy. Yeah. He seems, you know, he, he tells her he wants to see her again. Yeah. And like, like, when can I see you again? And, um, it makes you think if, if what is going to happen next doesn't happen, all of the bad stuff, uh, and if this was a normal relationship, would he never kill anyone again? Yeah. Because he's like finally been accepted. Interesting thing to think about. And I'm curious if the book explores it. Yeah. Again, I hope I need these to read books the book. are as good as the movies. I bet and they it, are. Well, you, you just never know if this is not a case of like, well, Michael Mann's a genius, Jonathan Demi's a genius, and they adapted these books into better than their movies. You, you never know, because sometimes that does happen. But I bet the books are But this guy is like, the brain behind Hannibal. So I know. the books are probably pretty dang good. Because it could be a case of, um, and and this is this one's more just an opinion, but I like Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Fincher's movie, better than I liked the book. I think I agree with that, yes. But, but the book is, really is not good. bad by any means. No, they're really good. The two that I've read. <laughs> <laughs> the one that I've read was really good. Yeah. But um okay so then um we we see this moment where Will has a breakthrough in the case where he's watching the footage and he's like the locks the locks he's having this whole thing about like oh this person this person saw this this footage that I'm looking at because of things yes. they would have brought to the crime scene which yes. I'm not going to explain all of that and it, I think it's in that same scene his his like captain or Crawford is like, it's too late. It's the day of the murder. There's nothing we can do about it. Like, just start working on the next one. And he said, you knew when you gave me those two photos that I was going to do this. You you basically, it was a foregone conclusion that I would help in this, and you forced me to do this. So don't you dare tell like, me this is up. too late. And then he's also saying, the captain, that there is no connection between these two families. There's no way. And then we also didn't say that... Throughout the movie, when we've been introduced to the Red Dragon character, he has been studying a new family. He's been watching a lot of footage. Like when yeah. the blind woman is at his house, he's watching something, and she asks him what it is, and he just says it's homework. While he's just watching this family that he's probably oh, going to murder. That scene was... But, he, but yeah. all that. So Will is like... And he, he finally goes... He, he calls, and he says, look at these tapes. He calls evidence. Yeah, and, and say where were they developed because there's like a little tag on them where they were developed and they're like, oh, it's two different places and he goes, peel back the second one. Yeah. And his captain's face is just like, oh, And he shoot. peels it back and then they're like, okay, we're going to St. Louis right now because yeah. they now know that it's an employee of that place. And then at that point, they can narrow it down to, I mean, I can't remember exactly how they got here, but they can narrow it down to what type of person it probably is. Yeah. Because they were talking to the police force to look up licenses and they were like, he is going to be a Caucasian male between 20 and 40 years old. Uh, they knew that he was really tall for some reason. And I uh, probably based, just based on how the murders were committed. Yeah. They kind of like forensics were able to figure out that he was six, seven around there. And so they're like flying on a jet. And, oh, and like they knew faxing. his hair type because they had hair from the scene. Sorry. Yeah, and they're fa they're faxing like these images and uh -huh. stuff, and you're like, they got to get him. Meanwhile, the killer 
was watching the blind woman, which makes me think he definitely would have not stopped killing because he oh, was stalking this woman. He's too sick yeah. to do it, to not do it. And we see this weird point of view where it's like shiny behind them and he's seeing like a warped perception of the, what's really going the on. The woman being with another man. And it seems like the man is just like, good night. I think that's... I think, you know, just a coworker drove his coworker home because he's a good guy. But he sees them like being um, somewhat intimate together yeah. in this weird backlit thing, another artistic and thing. And that's when that one song in the movie is nutso. Yeah, look it up. It's something like uh, Strong As I Am. That's what it's called, Strong it's As I Am. It's just perfect. And then he he kills the guy and mm -hmm. takes the blind woman hostage. Mm -hmm. Forgot to mention, too, that in in the another scene where Will's trying to figure it out, he walks through the first victim's house, and he like is fully in the killer's mind at that point. And he imagines himself, as Hannibal said, like, I'm a god, I own this place. He says that? It, well, basically, because he's wait, like... Wait, what part is this? When he like opens up the door and he's like... Oh, he's like, yeah. I throw my coat because this is my house. This is where I live. Oh, this is what I want. And yeah. then he walks upstairs and he looks at the woman and she has like mirrors for eyes. Yes. That was cool. Yes. Then Anytime in a movie when that when an actor is on a like, what is it called? Like a dolly thing. Uh, and he it looks like he's. Floating? Well, that was, the, that was the zoom. They were oh, doing. They were doing the jaws. Because I love it in movies zoom. when someone looks like they're floating and not walking, like in Black Klansman, they do that, and it looks so. Oh yeah, when they're in the hallway. Good. Yeah, it looks so good. Yeah, that one. The one in it Black the Klansman lens, is the dolly, but yeah, this one was the lens where where same effect. Loved it. Yeah, it's pushing in on um, Will, but then it's keeping him in focus. With with um with a certain type of lens yeah. and the background's out of focus, so it looks like the background is changing. Yes, and they're doing the same with the girl in the bed. Yes, and so it's like he's realizing something. Yes, it's used to great effect. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's also, well, well then, so then basically get to the killer's house. He has the blind girl. He's gonna kill her. Will's stalking from the bushes. They're supposed to wait for backup. He immediately goes in, smashes through the window. And it's, it should be noted that the killer uh, has this woman hostage in his home, and she is trying to just figure out what's going on, and there's loud music playing. So it's just her senses are completely yeah. just gone. And um, Red Dragon is in the bathroom and smashes the mirror, which he has been known to break mirrors. Yeah. Um, and he takes a shard, and he has been known to murder with broken mirrors. Yeah. So he is going to do the same to this woman. So he is about to cut her throat with the mirror. Yeah. And then Will breaks in and there's there's this firefight um, and it's edited kind of weird. It's, it it's a pretty weirdly edited scene. I think it works in a really artistic, strange, cool way. Sure. Um, but at the same time, it's like I could see someone watching that scene and not liking it. Yeah. I just was fully OK with what it was doing. You know, shot at different frame rates. It's even edited to where like certain seconds are re repeated. Well, I think it's interesting because in this whole movie, we've gotten into the mind of the killer. And a lot of the times what you want is for that Stellan Skarsgård and Daniel Craig moment where they get to talk about it. Uh -huh. um, it's like leading up to that moment. And we don't get that in this movie. There's no Red Dragon and Will Graham talking. Yeah. But we don't need to because that's what Hannibal's character has done. We've been we've yeah. been in the mind of the killer the whole time and been have been able to talk to him. So... Well, and, and I think with the scene of Will walking up the steps and seeing the girl with the mirror eyes, like we have had that scene in a different Definitely. way. So it's like, I think 
Because I think a little part of me was like, it felt a little anticlimactic, but at sure. the same time, the whole movie has been about this. Yeah. So it works. And then Will kills him. Yeah. Um, because he's about to kill him. I mean, yeah. it's like righteous kill. Yeah. You know. Um, and because in the grocery store, his son asked him, like, are you going to kill this guy? And he said, that's not my job. I'm just going to help him find him. But then he makes the decision to, like, aggressively save this woman. Yeah. And so aggressively and this save this woman. Like, that's a weird way officer, to say it. But, so. Yeah. So um, and then we're back at the beach. He's back with his family. He's got a nice scar on his face. Because he got cut with the mirror. Yeah. And um, he seems like he is not doing like he seems like he will recover but he's he's not in a good place yeah but he will get better they're right back to talking about the sea turtles that are about to hatch like at the beginning of the movie so it's like things will go back to normal yeah and um my goodness i just am gushing about this movie i couldn't i mean if you can handle movies of this nature this is like i'd put it in the top tier i would be like put this right up there with your sevens and your girl with the, I'm just naming Fincher movies, but like, no, he's pretty good at that type of movie. So, I mean, he's like perfected prisoners. It. Don't forget about prisoners. Prisoners. Yeah. Put this right up there and, and put this right up there with silence of the lambs. Yeah. Which is like regarded as one of the best. Um, we'll get to talk about another serial killer that that serial killer is based on. Oh, the Ted Levine character. Is, is that the actor's name? Yeah. Yeah. Who's the guy? The chief from monk. oh yeah but he's he was the guy in jurassic park 2 yes um which by the way um i believe it was the rap party for this movie a friend of one of the actors showed up um a not not well-known actor or anything like that and it was ted levine and it was ted levine (gasps) just like hanging out and like i think he or maybe it was the premiere and got to like see the movie first and everything and got to hang out with everybody later he's gonna be um in the silence of the lambs so Or it's just silence. It's not the, right? There's no the. Anyway, couldn't recommend it enough. Great movie. Mm -hmm. We're in February. And um, And what a perfect, nothing more perfect than covering a series about murder and serial killers in the month of love. (laughs) Love. But it also is my birthday month. And this is what I would have wanted. That's true. (laughs) That's true. This was a big Jordan pick. And whenever you choose a series, um, it's usually our most popular series. So, I'm assuming that this is going to be you just jinxed it. One of our bigger ones. Actually, I would imagine that this movie won't be, but the next ones probably will. And maybe we'll be able to convince people to go back because it's just not as well known of a movie. Oh, yeah. Um, this month on MPU, the sequel on Patreon, a couple days ago, we came out with an episode on Zoolander. <laughs> oh, OK. <laughs> so um, if you want a real change, I forgot of pace, we talked about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, the patrons chose uh, That's Zoolander. That's actually perfect. Yeah, it'll be a nice Comic re- reprieve. And um, if you're new to the podcast, patreon.com slash M-I-C-A-H-M-C-C-A-W. And uh, there's a link in the description. Sign up for as little as $3. Once we get 50 patrons, we're going to launch another Patreon podcast called uh, The MPU Goes to Emeryville. And we're going to cover the remaining Pixar movies and any future Pixar movies. So... We need 50 patrons. $3 a month, cup of coffee. I mean, come yeah. on. Come on. Um, thank you for listening. Next week, it's the si- it's Silence of the Lambs. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Who's that peeking behind the bars? That's Hannibal. Who's
was that played by four different stars? That's Hannibal. And whose face is detachable? That's Hannibal. And who's everybody's favorite cannibal? That's Hannibal.